You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. every single website I went to, and I went to many, the birth of Jesus Christ. It was the all-time watershed moment in the history of the world. Because once Jesus arrived, nothing was the same again. Nothing was the same. Even our dates, A.D., B.C. The trajectory of our existence in this world changed when Jesus came in the flesh. You can't escape the effect he had. As Pastor Dave will point out in today's message, even our calendar was changed by Jesus. Have you experienced the transformation he wants to bring in your own heart? Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of John chapter 6 as he begins his message, A Watershed Moment. chapter 6 beginning in verse 60 therefore many of his disciples when they heard this said this is a hard saying who can understand it when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this he said to them does this offend you what then if you should see the son of man ascend where he was before it is the spirit who gives life the flesh profits nothing the words I speak to you are spirit and they are life But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And he said, therefore, I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. From this time, many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go You have the words of eternal life. Also, we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, Son of the living God. So throughout history, there have been what is called watershed moments. Watershed moments. A watershed moment is a critical point in time where everything changes. And after this particular moment, nothing will be the same again. It's called a watershed moment. So I wanted to see what the Internet thought was the top ten watershed moments in the history of the world. So I started to scroll in there, and I put a little word search in there and stuff like that, and I came across some very interesting things. One of the most interesting things I saw was that the majority of websites I looked at said that the number two, number two watershed moment of all time happened in 1517 when Martin Luther took his thesis to the Catholic Church. That was the beginning of what is now called the Protestant Reformation. It changed church forever. Nothing has ever been the same because Martin Luther came against the Catholic Church. He came against the Pope. 
He came against their teaching, their doctrines. He came against their doctrines of purgatory. He came against Mariology, which is the worship and study of Mary. He also came against the sacraments and the, the indulgences and even the actual authority of the Pope. This was a watershed moment because afterwards, nothing was the same in organized religion. But the number one watershed moment of all times agreed by, by almost every single website I went to, and I went to many, the birth of Jesus Christ. It was the all-time watershed moment in the history of the world. Because once Jesus arrived, nothing was the same again. Nothing was the same. Even our dates, A.D., B.C., our count, everything is based on Jesus Christ. You know, at one point, or another, in all of our lives, we have been faced with watershed moments. Maybe several. A time when you come to a critical point and you must make a choice. These watershed moments become moments of truth in our lives. They become crossroads, if you will. When we're faced with crucial decisions. Crucial decisions that determine the course of our lives. And when we come to these moments, it's extremely important that we face these moments of truth. We face them with the understanding of the effect when we make the decisions that are placed before us. As we come to this part of John 6, so close to the end, we find ourselves at a turning point. A watershed moment, not only for Jesus, but a watershed moment for those who are calling themselves his disciples. It becomes a watershed moment. See, you remember as we studied, Jesus has been teaching in the synagogue at, Cap at Capernaum. Many have followed him all the way from Galilee. Some have come to actually hear him speak, but the majority have come so that they could get food. They remember the miracle of the loaves and fishes. They remember what happened over in Galilee, when he divided the loaves and the fishes among 5,000 people, and they came seeking signs and wonder. They came seeking the thirst and hunger for that spirit, that thing that was going on inside them. They were looking for that. But Jesus was using this as an opportunity. Jesus never missed an opportunity. He was using this as an opportunity to teach them what it would take for a person to have eternal life. This was the main thing on Jesus' mind, eternal life, for that which he came to give us, eternal life. And this was foremost on his mind. He told them, unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no life in you. He said that whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood will receive eternal life. And this blew them away. It just blew them away because it was a hard saying. But Jesus wasn't speaking physically. He was not advocating cannibalism nor was he advocating vampirism. He was speaking spiritually, and they didn't get it. Or they got it, but they couldn't apply it, as we'll talk about in a minute. Jesus said to them, it's the spirit that gives life. The spirit that gives life, and the words that I'm speaking to you are spirit words, and they are life-giving words. When Jesus shared this. He shared the cost of following him, and he also shared the benefit of following him. The cost of following him, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood. The benefit, eternal life. Eternal life. See, Jesus always looked at the eternal. He always had the eternal on his mind. That's why from the time he started his ministry, 
He faced the cross like a flint and he was drawn to it and every single thing he did led to that cross. Every single thing he did, every decision he made, everything he said led to the cross because it was ever on the forefront of his mind. The listeners that day were confronted with a decision. The listeners that day were confronted with a decision. It was the decisive moment for them. How would they decide? What would they choose? Some will embrace internal life. Some of the people listening to him that day would embrace internal life. They would accept Jesus as God, Jesus as the Son of God, while others would simply walk away. They would just walk away. This was definitely a watershed moment for them. For the decision these people made that day not only changed their lives forever, but it had eternal consequences as well. Today may be a watershed moment for some of you. Some of you may be faced with a decision today as to what you would do with Jesus Christ, how you will handle him, what you will do with him, how you will decide what it means to you in your life. Maybe you've been coming to this church now for a while and you've been confronting, or excuse me, you've been confronted with the teachings of Jesus Christ. Maybe you've heard time and time again this born again thing. And you've listened to it contently. And now maybe you're here and the Spirit's starting to do something in your heart. Well, we're going to get to that a little later. What will you do? Will this be your watershed moment? I love the Gospel of John. And as we've been reading through it, we've seen this unfolding drama taking place. If you remember in chapter 5, Jesus was rejected by the religious leaders. In chapter 5, the religious leaders rejected him, and then they decided that not only were they going to reject him, they were going to kill him. So plans were being laid even then to kill Jesus. Now, in chapter 6, Jesus is faced with the reality of being rejected by the masses in Galilee. He presented this doctrine. He presented this to them because it was time. He knew the time was right. Now, these are the same ones, remember now, these are the same exact people who only hours before wanted to do what? Force them to be king. The same ones who only a couple hours before would force him to be king. But remember, he got away from them. So what is this a preview of? It's a preview of the triumphal entry. It's a preview of Palm Sunday, where Jesus rides in on a donkey and all the crowds going, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they're throwing palms in front of him. They're throwing their clothes in front of him. And they're shouting, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And a couple hours later, they're shouting, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. Same people. Same people. One minute they want to make you king, next minute they want to kill you. This becomes a watershed moment for Jesus as well. It's a watershed moment for Jesus as well. From this point on, he's not as popular as he once was. Remember, just because this is John 6, you have to take in consideration the other Gospels to fill in all the things that have happened before this. John is only showing you the things that you would believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He hasn't filled in the blanks like Matthew, Mark, and Luke have. So we're well into Jesus' ministry. A lot of things have happened. And after this time, after this rejection by the masses, Jesus' entire ministry changes. He now focuses on those who stay, the 12. No longer is it a public ministry, but it's now teaching the 12. And one of them is the devil. 
He teaches them because he knows they're going to be left behind when he dies. They know they're going to have to carry on the message after he's gone. Jesus was on the verge of losing many people. John calls them disciples. Those that followed hard after him. Those that wanted to learn of him. Those that thought themselves to be devoted to him. It was a watershed moment for Jesus because as a disciple, you need to count the cost of discipleship. You need to count the cost of discipleship. If any man wants to follow after me, he must deny himself, pick up his cross, and follow me. There's a cost to discipleship. These people were faced with a cost. They were faced with a cost. It was a watershed moment for Jesus. But it was also a watershed moment for the disciples, all of the disciples together. Look at 60 through 66. Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, this is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? What then if you see the Son of Man ascend from where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words I speak to you are spirit, and they are life. But you, there, but there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who would betray him. And then he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one comes to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. From that time, many of the disciples went back and walked with him no more. A watershed moment for the disciples. Many of those who followed him, many of those who thought they were his disciples, who called them disciples, turned around and walked away. Most of the people just blatantly left that day. They just turned their backs and walked on them. They just walked away. Many of these were followers from the beginning. Why today? Why did they leave today? Why did they leave after Jesus said this? Because Jesus was drawing them closer. Jesus was drawing them closer still. He was drawing them deeper into the relationship between he and them. He wanted them to realize the cost of discipleship. He wanted them to realize where true spiritual life comes from. He wanted them to realize these things. Calling them to change their lives. And this was the kicker. They didn't want to change their lives. They didn't want to change their lives. He was calling them into this. He was calling them into repentance. And repentance simply means change. And they did not want to change. They didn't want to change their lives. He wanted them to invest in eternal things, calling them to forsake the world and come completely to him. Really interesting when you look at the text, the way it's worded, and you break it down in the Greek. It tells us that the people understood what Jesus was saying when he said, you must eat of my flesh and drink of my blood. And although the doctrine was difficult, it was a hard saying. And although it was different than what they had been taught, they understood what Jesus had been telling them. They just couldn't apply it. They weren't ready to change. Have you ever shared the gospel with somebody who's not ready to change? I shared the gospel. I shared my heart out to one of my best friends when I was working at Tech. Shared my heart about them. And they came back to me and said, if I accept Christ, will I have to change? I went, well, no, you don't have to, but you'll want to. I don't want to accept them because I'm happy where I am. Unfortunately, my friend has passed on. He wanted them to come closer. Jesus is calling you closer today. He's calling you. He says, come closer. Come closer. Yes, there is going to be change. Many don't want to hear about Jesus today because it involves change, but that's what repentance is. It's change. Change of thought, change of actions, change of attitude. It's change. 
And because of this teaching, the disciples simply went back, it says. They went back. And the indication here is they didn't just leave him and walk away. No, they went back to their old home. They went back to their old work. They went back to their old ways. They went back to everything else. They finally left him and kept on doing the old habits, the old things that they were doing before. They went back. They walked with him no more. They abandoned the entire movement. Not only did they give up following Jesus, they gave up everything that he represents and everything that he teaches. They went back. Once Jesus took away the material incentives, once he took away the earthly motives, they left. They didn't want anything about him. The enemies must have thought, hey, we won. Enemies must have thought, we won. Look up, nobody's following him now. Now some of them came back. The battle wasn't over. Some of them would come back. But can you imagine how painful it was for Jesus to stand before them and have them all turn him back and walk away? You have to remember two things. Very, very important to keep them in your mind. Jesus was all God, and he was also all man. He had feelings. He cried over Jerusalem when they missed the day of visitation, remember? He cried over Jerusalem because they had missed their day. I can imagine when he was watching all these people walk away. I can imagine the look in his eye. Was there a tear in his eye? Because they were walking away. He knew what they were giving up. He knew what they were going to miss out on. It's God's will that none would perish. It's God's will that all would be saved. It's God's will that all would come to repentance. These had blatantly chosen not to. Watershed moment in their lives. One way or the other, things were never going to be the same in their lives. The decision to accept or reject Jesus Christ is the ultimate decision that every single one person in the world will have to face at one time or another. It's the must-answer question. It must be answered. Well, I haven't decided. Well, you decided. Why do people not want eternal life? Why don't people reject Jesus Christ? when he's offering them eternal life. I don't understand it. Some people think they don't need a Savior. Well, I'm a good person. I'm a good guy. I'm a good lady. There's nothing wrong with me. Some people can't stand the fact that you, we might think them a sinner. I'm not a sinner. Me, sinner? No, I'm a good person. Some fear social rejection by either family or friends. Social outcasts. Oh, you're one of them. Born againers, huh? Ugh. For some people, the world is more appealing. For some people, the world is much more appealing than Jesus Christ. They'd rather hang out with the world. And I think the biggest thing is, sadly, many people just resist the Holy Spirit's prodding. They just resist it. Whatever the reasons are, when people reject Christ, their rejection has disastrous eternal consequences. Disastrous eternal consequences. Peter declares in Acts 4.12, speaking of Jesus, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And Jesus makes it quite clear in Matthew 25 what the results are and the consequences are of those who refuse him. Eternal damnation, eternal separation from God, and bad dental work. Gnashing of teeth. <laughs> Chapter 6 began with Jesus feeding 5,000 people or more. Chapter 6 is going to close with Jesus and the 12. He went from 5,000 to 12. Jesus is standing there. They all leave. Like I said, you can see the hurt in his eye. You can see the, what he felt like maybe. 
He already knew that they would leave. He knew in his heart that they would leave. And then he turns and he looks at the 12. And they're probably standing there with dumb looks on their faces like. And he looks at them. And look at verse 67. Then Jesus said to the 12, do you also want to go away? My heart breaks. My heart breaks. But Jesus is giving them the same choice he gave the others. The same choice he's given every one of you, me, the whole world. He's giving them the same choice. This is an emphatic statement. Jesus was forcing the issue now. Jesus started to force the issue. And it's a logical question. Hey, they left. How about you? They're all gone. How about you? Accept or reject. Guess what? This becomes a watershed moment for the 12. This becomes a watershed moment for the 12. I wonder how much time passed before, between Jesus' question and Peter's answer. Because Peter stands up and answers the question. Did they all look around like, did they all go to Peter? You know, Peter, come on. You love Peter, come on. You love Peter. Maybe they all try to, oh, are we gonna agree? What, what are we going to do? We, we should all agree upon this. Maybe they had a little huddle. I don't know. You do know he's standing right there, don't you? Yeah, what are we going to do? <laughs> finally, finally, Peter looks into the eyes of his Savior. Peter looks into the eyes of the creator of the universe. Peter looks in the eyes of God standing right before him, and he says such a profound statement that I get chills when I read it. It is such a profound statement, and I'm going to throw it out to you. In verse 68, but Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? What a question. What a question. To whom shall we go? Where are we going to go? There's a beautiful passage in Mark 10, and I'm going to read it to you real quick like. In Mark 10, beginning in um, verse 22 or 23, then Jesus looked around and said to the disciples, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and said to them, children, how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And they were greatly astonished, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? But Jesus looked at them and said, With men it is impossible, but not with God. For with God all things are possible. And then Peter stands up and says, See, we have left all to follow you. We've left all to follow you. What did they leave? They're astonished at this. What did they leave? And here it is, the cost of Christ, the cost of following Christ. What did they leave behind? Did you ever think about that? I'm going to help you. Mr. Zebedee was left in a boat holding a net because his two sons, James and John, dropped their net and followed Jesus at his command. This is unheard of in the Jewish culture. This is unheard of to diss your dad like that, to leave him hanging with the family business. In the Jewish culture, you just did whatever your father did. You just went right along with it, and it was the way it was supposed to be. They saw Jesus. Jesus said, follow me. They said, see you, Dad, and they left. You are the book of John covers Jesus' life and ministry here on earth, but the book begins long before Jesus was born in a manger. He existed with God the Father from the start, so many other religions have some figure they look to or commemorate, but none of those mere men accomplished what Jesus did. 
Jesus came as a man and died, but then he came back to life because he's God. No other man can claim that remarkable feat. Only God could do this, and therefore, the only true one to follow is Jesus. What might be holding you back today in believing all that God says he is and does? If you have some questions you'd like answered, we'd be happy to try and answer these questions or pray with you about what's weighing on your heart. Please don't hesitate to call us at 609-884-5821. Again, that number is 609 609- 884-5821. Keep looking to scripture for answers and know that we care about the journey you're on. We're so glad you tuned in to A Sure Hope today. You can hear more messages like this one from Pastor Dave at our website. Just click on the messages tab when you visit assurehoperadio.com. We'd love to meet you too. Find out how you can join us for worship at Calvary Chapel Cape May by visiting assurehoperadio.com. You'll also find us on Facebook and YouTube. Links for both are at assurehoperadio.com. There's more to learn from the book of John next time, so be sure to join us again on another edition of A Sure Hope.